Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 174. Uh, the last episode we had with, and apologies for saying that, because if I'm saying this incorrectly, because I haven't actually filmed with him yet, Parthaban Navratnam, I believe is how you say it. He goes by Thebe. Um, he is an Uffield scholar, a couple of years ahead of myself. Uh, he is the founder of... I can't remember the charity's name exactly, but looking at vets, uh, diversity in vets, basically. Um, and yeah, he is also a MBE, I believe. So uh, a pretty important guy. We're filming that in the next few weeks. And um, one of those sort of people really leading the way and sort of trying to push that boundary that we're probably not talking about enough along with folk like Flavian Obiero and whatnot. So yeah, really good story there. The next episode we have with Guion Parry another Nuffield scholar who's in my cohort this year. Um, and uh, yeah, that'll be getting filmed in the next few weeks as well. So some good episodes coming there. This is obviously an all-in series today. Today's, um, and I feel a bit boring saying this, but we've said it so many times. I'm going to say it's quite a mad episode. I feel like we've said that about the last... Yeah, four. I feel like we say yeah. like every episode, but they just keep getting... Which is good. I mean, yeah. Yeah, happily come on here and say it's mad every time. Um, but this man's got... Well over a million and a half followers across all platforms. If you um, are interested in any form of storm chasing, you've probably heard of him. We're going to get into that with him. Um, but before we do, uh, our guest today is Ricky Forbes. Ricky, would you like to say hello? Hey, yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Just before we get started, I would like to thank Magic Mind, the supporters of the show today. Magic Mind is a natural productivity shot utilising matcha, which is essentially nature's answer to slow-release caffeine. I've said it before, but Ed and I have tried this, and as someone who starts to labour in productivity around the evening, this has got rid of that entirely. If you're interested, check out the website www.magicmind.com forward slash kitchen 20 which is R-U-K-I-T-C-H-E-N 20, and use kitchen 20 at checkout for 56% off. I should also say they have an absolutely no questions asked guarantee, uh, money back guarantee as well, which makes it completely risk free. Not at all, man. Not at all. And I should probably just give a little bit of background that um, before we sort of hear a bit of Ricky's story, we're currently sitting here recording this on the, what day is it, the 17th, <clears throat> 17th of January. And Ed and I are sat here in, what is it, Ed? Negative nice. four. Yeah. Maybe to hit. It's cold. It's really cold. Freezing, really, man. really cold. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Like I've been working all day outside and. The, the hands have struggled. <laughs> and it's about, it could be negative six this evening, so really cold, and and I mean, let's yeah. be serious, when when Britain hits negative six, we start to fall apart. We don't really know yeah. what's happening. My, my, my parlour starts freezing up, yeah. and it's really not a nice morning. And, and in general, everything starts to go to a standstill. Airports, yes, ports, we just, disaster. We just our, our, our roads are dangerous enough right now, and that's at minus four. The drive from mine to Ed's is about a six-minute drive. I left about 15, 20 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're we're struggling. Um, but that's negative four at the minute. Ricky, just out of interest, what temperature are you in uh, where you are? It is negative forty-five where I live here. Yeah, Saskatchewan, Canada. It is like you're living in a freezer. Uh, frostbite happens within uh, a matter of minutes. Like if you have any exposed skin. If you have to touch metal because your cars are dying and things like that, like you have to have gloves on. If you touch metal with your bare hands, there's a good chance you're going to like freezer burn your hands. Um, and if you've ever seen a meme before, it goes around here, but it's a meme of a cartoon character walking outside and he breathes and he's like, it hurts to breathe. He's like, why do I live where it hurts to breathe? That's what it's like here. Like you walk outside 
and you like can feel the cold air like rushing into your lungs. Um, yeah, it's a it's a wild place, and it's like this for usually three four months a year where I live. And and where you are, how warm can that get in the warm season? I guess summertime. Yeah, so like in a, yeah, it'll, it'll bounce all the way over to. Um, we we usually sit around like at the hottest we'll get to like plus forty uh celsius um but usually it sits about like plus 25 plus 30 in the summer i mean that's a mental swing like we we yeah. might have the odd day of the year that hits 30 and yeah. i mean odd day of the year like it might be a three day a three day period for example um, yeah. and, and, we, and and we cannot deal with that like <laughs> there's there's not a top worn by an outshaped man in sight it is uh the uk is useless when it comes to heat we call it yeah. taps up over here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the coldest we get is really where we are. You might get a day or two of negative 10 the odd year. The, but... This this is like, we got weather warnings about this. For that <laughs> way. Like, this was actually like, we're going to get our big cold spell of January, like, um, this week. And like, be careful. Ricky's sitting thinking this is like beach weather. Yeah. <laughs> it, we, it really is. Like... <laughs> We have a joke we call it short. Like I, anything under minus ten is like shorts weather for us, uh, and it really is because everything's relative in life, right? So yeah. after you go through minus forty five forever, like minus twenty five actually feels warm, and by the time you get to like minus ten, like you will see, uh, especially guys who seem to be a bit more thick skin that way, but like you'll see guys out in shorts, flip flops, t shirts on. Well, yeah. I think in fairness, it's a bit of a testament to. Your guys' heating must be pretty good because you're sitting on a t-shirt and cap at the minute. So uh, yeah, yeah, your house must be pretty well kitted out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like um, our housing and uh, like the heating and cooling systems and the insulation is uh, quite a bit diff built different than other places in the world. Even within Canada, like on the coasts, are a lot more like you guys. Like Vancouver, for example, has very similar weather to you that doesn't fluctuate too much. Where in the middle we get those big fluctuations, so. We're capable of heating our homes, um, and we're also capable of like cooling our homes off. Like we have uh, like robust heaters and robust like air conditioning units to handle that those times. So, are you are you from Saskatchewan originally, Ricky, or is have you moved here? Yeah, born born and raised in Saskatchewan. I did move away for a little bit in my twenties, um, but came back here. It's where family and friends are, uh, but it's it's a very uh, for what it's worth, it's a somewhat remote area of Canada, like. The city I live in is 300,000 people, and that's the biggest city of the province I live in. Like, uh, it's a million total in this, uh, like Saskatchewan. I don't know, like, it's the size of first, I think it's gotta be, it's gotta be like two or three times. Be sorry, it's two or three times the size of England. It has to be, yeah, yeah. Like, it's a, it's a huge landscape. Like, the next city is two hours away, like, driving at 100 kilometers an hour. It's just it's just a different world, man. Because like we we <laughs> there's a people in this country, and I'd like to think you and I are not one, but they'll be like, oh, you've got to drive to air or whatever, which is like for us, like what sixty miles, and yeah, you're like, oh god, not. you can't do that, man. You, you guys are like, yeah, go to the next town. <laughs> we've got like the the tent in the back, <laughs> we've got everything ready to go. It's a different yeah. world, and it's it's pretty because like Canada, I think's the the third biggest land mass, if not second in the world, but it's only about 35 million people. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. We got, yeah, we have, about, it's, it's like 37 million, but it's all the same, yeah. but yeah, but like, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it sits like uh, on the, the number of uh, land mass, but 
it is massive. Uh, like, for, um, if you want to drive from side to side, it's going to take you uh, four days of straight driving. Yeah, it's mad. It's mad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're you're currently sitting at negative forty, hey, Ricky. Just before we hit record, I asked Ricky if he could turn his camera around. Obviously, this is just audio, so you guys can't see. But he's sort of showing the 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 snow that's outside, and um, the theme of today is really looking at looking at serious weather with a particular focus for yourself um but before we get into that uh ricky it's always quite fun to hear folks backgrounds you know where where did someone come from and sort of is canada the second biggest Can- yeah russia canada china yeah i didn't know if it would go canada to china or china canada um <laughs> yeah we sort of like to hear folks backgrounds like what, what was a young ricky wanting to do what what did you see in your future <clears throat> Uh, growing up, I wanted to be a professional snowboarder or a professional dirt biker, um, where I live. Uh, yes, uh, we, we did lots of dirt biking growing up. We did lots of snowboarding and, uh, I competed in both, but I was was just never quite good enough, uh, to go very far in it. And, uh, so I came out of high school and, uh, thought I had to grow up and I wanted, uh, I wanted fancy cars and a big house. So I went to university for a number of years and I got my degree uh, in investing to be a stockbroker. And uh, I tried that for a few months and everybody around me was miserable. People who had been there for 15, 20 years, divorced a few times. And like they had all the material goods, but they weren't happy at all. And I'll say, uh, yeah, I just felt life is too short and I wasn't going to do that. And so I went, I changed jobs, uh, within a few months getting out of university and I started working in oil and gas here in uh, Canada, uh, this big resource sector. And I started um, working on drilling rigs. And so I did that because it pays well. And I was working four weeks in, four weeks out. So every four weeks, I would work four weeks straight. And then I would get four weeks off. And then I would have, I was in my 20s, I was single. I would have a, I would have a ton of money because it pays well. And I would have four weeks off. And I would just go and travel around the world. And I've always loved photography and videography. And that's uh, essentially a few bounces later, I found myself chasing tornadoes. It's a it's quite a cool story that, and I actually love folk doing that background because it's always like story, story, story. Oh yeah, and then bang, I found myself doing this really weird, insane thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. It's it's pretty cool, and and I'm actually gonna I'm gonna shout someone out quickly, eh, Ricky and. Um, I'm sure if you give her a shout out on the podcast, she will be absolutely made up. So my partner, Yasmin's mum, so her name's Suzette, is a massive fan, first off, of the show and just a massive fan of tornadoes in general. She sits and watches them from what I understand all the time. I have about four questions here that I'm going to probably ask as we go. They're all from Suzette. Um, okay. So shout out. Shout out to Suzette, a massive fan. Um, she's probably kept this interview going as it as it goes as we as we keep going. Um, so yeah, thanks to Suzette, and uh, we will probably ask some of her questions as we go. Um, but the, the first one, I guess, is you're traveling the world. You got a bit of money behind you, single, having a good time. Um, and then you find yourself coming back, and and I guess that sort of job in oil is a, a pretty decent job. That's one you can do for some time. Um. You said you found yourself chasing tornadoes. I'm guessing at first that wasn't a career. That was just in your four weeks off. You could have a bit of crack doing that or have a bit of fun doing that. Maybe not a word in Canada. Um, yeah. How, how did that sort of come about? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, so first off, Suzette, thank you very much uh, for your support. I really appreciate it. And, and I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, how did it come about? So 
uh, doing photography and videography. Uh, essentially, what I was doing is um, in those four weeks off, I would keep getting that I would uh, I would just dream of adventures while I was at work, and I'd book flights and. So I would go snowboarding somewhere or rock climbing or skydiving or hang gliding. And uh, lots of times I would reach out to people and like find a guide and I would go and try an adventure and I'd do it for a week or two and that'd be good enough. And I move on to the next one. Uh, but in this regard, um, it was a friend of a friend who was a storm chaser and uh, yeah, he invited me to come out with him. This is back in 2012 and I went out and it was just meant to be a week long adventure. And uh yeah, we, we had actually gone all week, um, and it was uh, the last day. Uh, we're about to head home, and we'd gone all week, and we hadn't seen any storms. Because that's something about storm chasing is that you can look at the social media feeds, and you're like, oh, this looks amazing. But like like anybody's, it's, it's the red carpet, right? Like that, I'm only showing you the good stuff. What I don't, what I don't show you often is the suck uh, yeah. that I like to call it for storm chasing. And, and I do love the suck of storm chasing. But it's hard. And there's a lot of days you're not catching storms, um, even though you are there and you're trying. And so I, anyways, we went all week. We weren't seeing storms. I was like, I was like, storm chasing sucks. I am not coming back. <laughs> and because uh, we've driven all the way down from Canada to Oklahoma, which is about a 24, 30 hour drive. And uh, so we're driving all around the countryside, no storms. The final day, storms are starting to set up. And uh, I'm in the driver's seat. And there's four of us in the vehicle, but they put me in the driver's seat because I'd uh, never read weather before. And uh, these other guys were really good with their cameras. Like I did enjoy doing camera work, but they're professional photographers and videographers. And so um, they're in the other seats, I'm driving. And so we're coming through this big hail core. And so a hail core is this, um, a massive spot where hail is dumping out of a storm. And the hailstones are about golf ball size. So hailstones are ice stones, golf ball size, hitting the truck and they're starting to dent the steel and crack the windows. And uh, so that was intimidating and it was just a blizzard and you couldn't see. And uh, while we're going through, they're like, okay, there might be a tornado when we get out on the other side. And as uh, the hail started to dissipate and you could start to see through this curtain, there was this massive tornado in the field right in front of us. And even as I'm telling you about this, I get chills. It was just the most incredible, terrifying, beautiful. It was just so many feelings all at once and it was a lot like you know growing up that you uh you might have been scared there's a boogeyman under the bed or maybe in your closet it's like looking under your bed and being like holy shit the boogeyman is real <laughs> it was just it, it, there's so many feelings that it felt like that like it, it felt like it felt like this was like a like a, a giant it felt like we were beside like a chaotic giant um they were completely at its will like it's a moving mountain and it's just, it's wild. Like you feel so helpless and so insignificant beside this, like this amazing beast. And it feels like a living organism. And this particular tornado, um, it was an EF4 to give you a size wise. So tornadoes are rated on a scale of zero to five, EF0 to EF5, EF0 being the smallest, EF5 being the biggest. And so this is an EF4. And uh, so most storm chasers never get to see an EF4 and EF5 because the most common are the smaller ones. So getting to see an EF4 for my first tornado was really rare. And we get, we get out and, uh, and it was about a kilometer wide, about a kilometer wide. It's in the middle of this field. And uh, the first thing I remember is the sound. It sounds like a jet engine, like an airplane winding up. 
And uh, so it sounds like a jet engine is going across this field and it's tearing into the field. You can see like dirt and trees and everything flying up. Luckily, it didn't. It wasn't hitting any homes or any farms or anything like that. It was just in the middle of an open field. And uh, so we were tracking along beside it. And then we uh, we pull up and we're, we're perpendicular with it. And it's about to cross the road right in front of us, cross this uh, highway, this paved highway. And it rips the pavement. Like it just rips the pavement right off the ground and it keeps going. And now there's like debris starting to fall out of the sky. And this trade went on for the next, like just over three hours, which is also really uncommon. Most tornadoes last for five to 15 minutes. So for three hours, it was just <laughs> chaos and wildness and just adrenaline filled and just the most um, unreal experience ever and uh it was after that that we were we were sitting down for a steak dinner and it's a superstition with storm chasing you catch a tornado you go for a steak dinner and we're sitting down for a steak dinner and there's some other storm chasers there and we're celebrating the day and we're talking about it and i sat back and there was something in my stomach there was something in me that said this is it this like you 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 found your purpose like this is where you're meant to be and um yeah, I don't know. And, I, and to this day, I still feel like that. Um, storm chasing has never felt like a job to me. And like, and it really does suck sometimes. Like, we'll go days without catching storms, uh, late nights. You know, we don't get until 2, 3 a.m. because we're working that late. We have to wake up at 6, 7 a.m. to keep going. Sometimes you travel through the night to get to storms. Um, and it, it does suck often. But I love the suck. I love storm chasing. Uh, everything about it. Um, and yeah, I've just, it's... Uh, it's been addicting ever since and not in like lots of times when people, sorry, I'm rambling on here, but lots of times uh, people ask, is it, is it the adrenaline you're addicted to? Uh, the, the adrenaline was the initial pull, you know, cause I came from a background of like skydiving and dirt biking. And, and that's, a, um, there is something about that. Uh, the, the, uh, the adrenaline still is there. Like the, uh, but I would say it's more like a, a healthy fear. Like I know enough and I'm like, I've seen over 300 tornadoes now and uh, I've been around them enough to, to know what it's going to feel like and expect. So the adrenaline is still there, but there's, there's something about getting, getting to witness something so rare and, and, and being there, uh, like I'm a photographer, videographer. So the challenge of having, um, a few moments, like it truly is like hunting. Like now I, I don't hunt, uh, um, except storms, but it truly is like, there's all this buildup. Like I, I, all year long, I plan to go storm chasing. Like even like today, like, and these weeks uh, leading up to storm season, there's so much planning that goes into it. We go out there. There's so much on the line. Like our careers depend on how we react when those storms show up. And sometimes that trade only touches down for a minute. Sometimes it does end up being an hour. But if it's only a minute, you have to nail it. You have to get the videos. You have to get the photos. Uh, you have to be able to tell that story. And you have to be the right spot at the right time. And you got to get to do it all safely. Um like there's, there's so many variables, so many, it, it take, I guess, sort of what I'm getting at is it takes a lot of years to get good at it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's something else that I love that it's, uh, it's taken a long time to cut my teeth with it. And I've made many mistakes, but learned from those over the years. And um, yes, yeah, shit. Sorry. I could just go on forever. There's so many things I love about storm chasing. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what else hold you back. Um, I, I just kind of wanted to ask a question, probably quite a novice question for you, but how how do you actually go about actually 
the first part of the chasing of the storms, if you know what I mean. Like, how do you figure out where they're going to be, how you're going to get there, and how you're going to go about actually getting to the place where they are? And how do you know where they're going to be and what time they're going to be there at? Yes, the forecasting has come a long ways. Um, So it's been 12 years I've been doing this. 12 years ago, it was a lot different. You know, um, the 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 National Weather Service, whether you're in Canada or the States, they would give you a bit of information, but not quite enough to really know exactly where these severe storms are going to be. And so it would take having to do our own weather forecasting. So we're looking at different websites that give different pieces of information and trying to basically it's like doing a math, a math calculation and you're trying to find different zones like okay what does it look like over here what does it look like over here just a lot of moving parts and uh, it really takes a team to analyze this data and then you make your you also talk to other chasers and then you make your best guess from there uh but now it has come so far that um the the predict the predict the predictive modeling uh, can only om- almost nail it the day before where the storm's going to be the next day. Uh, and so much so that there's the, there's one this year that's largely based off of AI. And what it does is it takes all the data that's incoming for that setup for the next day. It compares it to historical data from all of the storms ever to happen in that area. And this AI was predicting where these storms are going to be. And this year it had like a 98% success rate. Uh, it was just crazy. Like it would say, okay, this city at this time, uh, and the storm's going to be uh, moving from here to here. Now it might be a little bit off on how big the storm grew or not, um, which is fair. Uh, but it, it large, largely nailed it. So, um, so sorry, taking a step back, uh, leading leading into it, about two weeks out, we look at weather, uh, but we also look at what the National Weather Service is sharing because now they share a lot more. Uh, because it's all it, they don't share it for storm chasers; they share it for the safety of the public, right? So the people who live in these areas know these storms are coming up. But for us, we're like, okay, that's where we're going to go. And you're so like, we'll avoid look at, these places, and you're like spot on. We'll go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, there's there's been many times where we'll be going into a location, and the highway is like full people call people like leaving that city, and uh, and we're like one of the two cars heading in, kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so anyways, uh, leading up now, we really look at the National Weather Service. We might do a little bit of forecasting on our own, but it's not quite needed anymore. And um, then come the day before, we're looking at those four, uh, um, the forecasting models uh, of where they think the storms will be the next day. And we take those into heavy consideration. Now we never used to, like even last year, it was, uh, it didn't perform very well, but now it does. Uh, and then the day of, we have uh, different radars um that are on our phones that tell us um how the environment it gives us real-time radar information that the weather people will get so we can see um we can see the how much rain is inside the storm how much hail we can see uh the lightning and where that lightning is falling uh we can see if there's uh wind circulating inside a storm and how fast it's circulating we can see where it came from where it's expected to go how fast it's moving um and what's interesting is that radar app that tells us all this information, like everything we need to know about these storms, it's a $10 app that we can get on our phones now, where when I first started storm chasing, uh, you could get it on your laptop and it cost you a subscription of $2,000 a month. <laughs> and now it's a $10 annual fee. 
and so it, it just uh, but it speaks to everything, right? That's how far technology has come. Uh, but it's interesting in that regard. It used to be a huge barrier to entry 12 years ago for people to get into storm chasing because you didn't quite know how to do it. It costs a lot to get that, you know, to get that software and to have it with you. And you need to, uh, but now you can get it on your phone that you get a lot of people, um, they can get in over their heads because they see the storm, they go for it. And uh, at some point it takes intuition on how to read that storm. Cause like um, those radars can sometimes lag by five, 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes the storm will knock out a cell phone tower and then you'd have no data. And now you're completely just resting it on your experience and intuition with this storm. And so, um, while it's really cool and it, it helps people to stay safe and it helps us get the right spot and have a, a much higher batting average, it also can get amateurs into more of a tighter spot without them knowing so. Could you, could you tell us about Ricky? I mean, it's quite interesting. One of my questions, and we're going to get on to Tornado Hunters in a minute, is, is, is how you got into presenting, but I pretty rapidly found the answer. Like, I was listening to that. You said you had chills talking about it. I had chills listening. Like, I can totally see why you get into that. But just, just before we do, could you tell us about some of the other things you tried before? You mentioned dirt biking. You mentioned a few things. Could you tell us about what you gave a shot at and, and maybe – was any of them you were like, oh, maybe this could be my thing? Um, but obviously, I know not as much as tornado hunting or storm chasing. Um, yeah, so like, sorry, the snowboarding and dirt biking was when I was in high school. So I did up until I was about 17, 18 years old. And we go to like amateur competitions and races. Um, yeah, it just, uh, it was clear, like, uh, just like, um, I, like for us over here, like uh, hockey uh, or any other sport, like it's only like, you know, the top 1% that get to really move ahead. And so um, I learned pretty quickly I had to uh, mitigate my dreams there. And, uh, yeah, so I decided the, uh, I've always enjoyed math. And so I decided that I was going to try um, the finance route. And I, yeah, it was just, it was shitty. Uh, I, I, for me, life is just too short to be miserable. And I, if I had a chance to do it otherwise, I was going to. And I did enjoy I did enjoy drilling uh, for oil and gas. Um, it's it's hard work. It's a lot of labor, but I um, I enjoy that. Uh, if if I wasn't doing this, I might go back to doing that. The only tough part is you're away from home quite a bit. But also with storm chasing, you're home. <laughs> you're away from home quite a bit. Last year, I was on the road for about three and a half months. I was away from mm -hmm. home, and so uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but you know, I. I've had quite a few jobs over my life. Like I've also been a graphic designer or a website builder and things like that. Just trying to get by here and there. And it's interesting. Uh, you, you, you hear what I always thought was like a bullshit line growing up is, you know, love what you do and never work a day in your life. And I still see that like on social media. It's like, it is so difficult. Like it's called work for a reason. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's very difficult um, to ever find that. And I, never, and I just never thought it existed but I do feel very fortunate to say I have found that in storm chasing. Like I've, it's never, it's never felt like work. Um, I, I love everything involved with it. Yeah. It is like you say, it's one of those sort of, it's you said like bullshit line that mom and dad say or whoever, and you're like, yeah, all right, whatever. But we've spoke on it a few times. Like I'm not saying we're in our absolute perfect thing ever, but both of us are in that position that we just love what we do. And it's so lucky. Like it, it is so lucky. So what do you guys um, do? So, well, I'm I'm in agricultural education, so I'm a lecturer in agriculture and also this to a point as well, in fairness. Yeah. This is sort of 
not in against Ed, but this is like my brand, and I've brought Ed in on on this series. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, uh, I'm a dairy farmer, so I uh, milk cows most time, and I've got a couple hundred cows. Um, that keeps me busy, but I just I just love cows. So. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Oh, that's cool. So yes, where I live, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like the Canadian prairies, but like agriculture is huge where I live. Like um 80 percent of my friends are um in the agriculture industry or they're directly farmers themselves but yeah no it's massive out there and it's, it's quite yeah. cool i was actually out, i was in indianapolis um just in november uh future of farmers of america convention it was like i the guy i was with had worked in the states and he was like um yeah, it's pretty big out there. And I'm like, yeah, I can believe that. I <laughs> turned up this convention, there's 70,000 students all focused on agriculture. I'm like, this is nuts. Um, For sure. So yeah, that's, that's what we do. Um, but just just before we get into it, like, I'm really interested in the season. You mentioned the season and, and when that is, but what does EF stand for? Enhanced Fajita. So there used to be that's a not scale. what I was getting. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> that was not what I was guessing. What was what were I, you guessing? I had environmental force in my head, which I thought was a pretty cool oh, guess. Okay, yeah, yeah. But not not that, enhanced either. Uh, that sounds way more badass. Environmental force <laughs> like that. No, um, so it's Dr. Fujita um was a scientist who came up with this scale of how to rate tornadoes. And so it was really originally called the Fujita scale. And so it was F0 to F5. So if you ever watched the movie Twister. They'll in there, they'll like they'll call tornadoes. That's an F3 or that's an F4, uh, because that's what existed when they made the movie Twister. Now they've added an E onto it, so it's called the enhanced Fujita scale. They use when it was just the F scale, uh, they would rate tornadoes strictly on how big they were. And uh now they rate tornadoes on how much damage they do. So I've actually never seen um so for for example, like I was caught uh, inside uh, the world's largest tornado, and that was over four kilometers wide. Like, uh, it was absolutely massive. I can tell you that story, uh, but I was caught inside a tornado, but that tornado was only rated an EF4. And so people will ask me the question, well, have you ever seen an EF5? I haven't seen an EF5. And uh, and the truth is, I've been fortunate not to, I guess, because an EF5 just means that much more damage, that much more fatalities. Um, So like, you know, like we'll see tornadoes, especially in Canada, because we're less populated in the States. Like we'll get tornadoes that are a kilometer wide, but they'll get like an EF1 rating. Like there'll be a massive, massive tornado, but they'll get a low rating uh, because they don't hit anything. It's, I, I wondered if you were going to say that, like, I don't actually want to, because like, yeah, from a, and I don't mean selfish in a selfish way. I mean, selfish in a, this is my career, and it would be really cool to see like the the biggest one. I mean, I just googled it. There's been sixty seven ever, you know. So to see that would be insane. But also like the the devastation that that incurs, I guess, is is pretty mental. Um, I think one thing that probably most folk want to see is t- tell us about the the worst stroke, most impressive. I think that's the same thing. Um, storm you've came across, I guess. What was if we were to say what's the one that jumps out? Like we were speaking off camera, but that absolutely gorgeous reel you posted on Instagram a couple of days ago. Um, but what one sticks out in your twelve years? Um, there's a few tornadoes that stick out. There's, you know, one. Uh, so we were caught. Yeah, so we're caught inside the world's largest tornado. Uh, I've been caught on the edge of a few tornadoes, uh, but that would have been that was the scariest. Like. 
there was uh we were inside for about 45 seconds and there was uh like homes flying above us pieces of homes there's hay bales there's farm machinery flying above us um and we were lucky to make it out it was just fluke uh it was because like uh we were, i mean there was one point i was driving in the ditch and uh there was a big baler beside us and this baler i don't know how much it weighs if it's five thousand kilograms or, or, or whatever it is however it's <laughs> Massive, massive piece of farm machinery that for sure weighs more than our pickup. And that it went up and we didn't. And it was so it was just it was just a fluke of luck um that we made up, but we were sure we were gonna die. And that that was really terrifying. Uh like there was there's nothing um nothing fun about that. Uh but that 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 is one that sticks out in my mind because just what it was. And like I when we the tornado did approach us, it was just so confusing. Because it, most tornadoes, like uh, the biggest tornado I saw before, that was maybe about two kilometers wide, which is still big, but you can still see a left and right side. You're like, okay, there, that's one side, that's the other side. This, you couldn't see the left and right side because it was so big. And it was just one big wall of moving mass. And um, yeah, it was, it was terrifying. Another uh, big day of storm chasing was we saw, um, we caught twin tornadoes. And so, it is something you'll see often uh, in storm chasing footage. Like I have one video where there's actually, it looks like there's eight tornadoes on the ground at one time, but what they are is there are eight vortices. And so, uh, sorry, if I can explain this for people who are listening, there's a difference between twin tornadoes and what vortices are. And so if you see multiple tornadoes on the ground, oftentimes what it is, is, well, so first off, sorry, let me just step back. A storm that creates a tornado is called a supercell storm. And this supercell storm has a spinning air mass inside of it. So if you can picture it, it has a big spinning air mass that's standing vertical inside of it. That's called the mesocyclone. And that mesocyclone will put down a tornado. Now, sometimes that mesocyclone, um, you know, it might be spinning so much that like a whirlpool, if you've ever seen a whirlpool, like whether it's in your bathtub or wherever else, that sometimes it's one big, clean, swooping funnel that's going down. But sometimes you'll see like little uh, whirlpools kick up in within that because um, when you get that rotation, you can get small rotations happening within it. And so that's what will drop down these vortices. And so you can have like seven or eight, or like we do have a shot, yeah, where there's like eight vortices on the ground. So it looks like there's eight tornadoes but they're all under one mesocyclone. So uh, we don't call, some people call those tornadoes, but like, we don't call it like one mesocyclone can produce one tornado. That's generally how we see it. So if, if it's if it's got like eight fingers coming down, these fingers are still very dangerous, but we call those vortices instead. Now, when we saw twin tornadoes, what it was was truly two supercells side by side with these massive spinning columns of air. And these storms, you know, they're 50, 60, 70,000 feet tall. And so to put it in context, you know, an airplane flies at about 35,000 feet. So when you have a storm that's 50, 60, 7,000 feet tall, to get one of those is wild. Now to picture two of those exist existing side by side and not affecting each other. And, and so one, they didn't hit each other. Uh, sorry, eventually they did after a couple hours. Um, but they're existing side by side. And something else too is air is fuel for these storms. So oftentimes if two storms come within, uh, like if we're chasing one storm and another storm starts to come over towards us, which can happen, then we're like, ah, we're let down. The storm's going to be finished right away. Cause what happens is 
is they're both sucking from the same resource, it's not going to work. A storm has to have a clean inflow if it's going to keep living. Somehow these storms coexisted side by side for nearly two hours, finding both, both finding their own clean inflow. And it just blew our minds. We did not know that this was possible because it, uh, it, in um, only one other time when we look back that it was truly documented it was like back in the uh, early 60s. But otherwise, we have never seen this before. And so they both dropped down tornadoes. They're existing side by side. And then they both became EF4 tornadoes. That's how big they were. They're both about a kilometer wide, existing side by side and going so slow that we can nearly drive in between them. We didn't, uh, but like we did get like really, really close to it. And it was just, um, it was just mind blowing. It's mind blowing to see one tornado and then to see two side by side coming off of two separate storms. It was just, uh, you know, unfathomable. Um, and then, yeah, so world's largest tornado, the twin tornadoes. Um, we once had a tornado. We were chasing a night. It was midnight. It had taken out a cell phone tower, and we didn't realize that our radar was la uh, lagging. And the tornado showed up right in front of us on this highway. Uh, it had changed directions. We didn't think it was going to. And it ended up dragging us down the highway for about a kilometer, very slowly. And I was... Um, we were nosed into the tornado and I had in four wheel drive. You don't want to turn sideways because then you could roll and then you then you're for sure gonna go. And so your last bit of hope is like um keeping your uh vehicle perpendicular with the storm. And so uh yeah, it was dragging us into the tornado and very slowly, I don't know, like at 10, 15 kilometers an hour, like essentially like nearly a walking speed. And uh you could smell the rubber burning because I had it in four-wheel drive in reverse. And it's dragging us down. And you can see debris floating around inside the tornado right in front of us. And at any point, we're like, this vehicle's going to go up. Uh, but eventually, the tornado just let go of us. I don't know. It felt like forever. It, yeah, it was probably only about a minute or so. But it felt like an eternity. Um, you know, like, it's, it's quite, so there's quite a few stories I could tell you. But yeah, there's uh, there's always little close calls. Where like, well, it's gotten less and less. Like So I started when I was 25. I'm 37 now. I was single in my 20s. I now have a wife and two kids. Um, and also every close call I've had, sorry, and for all those reasons, I mitigate my risk a lot more. Um, and every tornado, people often ask, well, like if you must get less and less scared of tornadoes. It's actually worked the opposite for me. Every close call I've had in my 20s has made me more terrified now uh, knowing how fast things can go sideways and how... And I've seen the destruction it can do. Like we've done search and rescue, we've done first aid, and um, tornadoes terrify me. They are, they, you, um, they're not to be messed with. And so um, I've also learned too that I don't need to be that close anymore because I like the footage that uh, when we can see the whole storm, and I don't need um, to take those risks I took in my twenties. But uh, sorry, man, I get long winded with my answers. You know, I love it. Man. I mean, I'm blown away. Tiffy part of the bun. Um, <laughs> that was it was really bad. Yeah, I was just googling it. Was the the one you were talking about the largest one? Was that El Reno? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that is fucking huge. <laughs> Holy. So you know how um you've said you've had so many close calls where you like it it could it could have ended up being uh, fatal for. For you and your group do you do you hear of many do you know of many from storm chasers obviously like 
they'll be public and the actual civilians around the area they might that it can happen to but actually storm chasers like does it happen very often it never it never used to um so that that El Reno tornado there were storm chasers um that passed away in it a few what I would call amateur storm chasers and not amateur by skill level like they could have been really good at what they did it's just um I separated between uh I call the professionals like are the ones who are making a career from it and um but like the, the amateurs they could be meteorologists they could have their PhDs in that. and I only see they're they're amateurs because I only I would only ever see them out there once in a while and you get to know the community um so it's not speaking to their skill level but I think a, a few less so a few amateurs passed away in the storm um uh, but two like uh sorry one professional team did pass away and they were on the original show of storm chasers which is like like the og like one of the best storm chasing shows ever uh, it was called storm chasers it was on discovery and his name was tim his name the team leader was named tim samaris and he's um he is the wayne gretzky of storm chasing um and it was and, and before Albert, you know he was uh and everybody he's so he was so cool and calm and collected and he was nice to everybody and he nailed every storm and he did things um for the weather community like uh like he he sent um like if you ever watch twister they have like this thing called dorothy where they're trying to get nodes up into the storm that's exactly what he did but in real life and nobody else did that and uh so he's still one of the uh one of the most badass storm chasers ever and he was just such a, a nice dude, and he was like uh, he was a family man, and uh, so his son his son started storm chasing with him, and so in that El Reno storm, Tim Samaris, his son Paul Samaris, and their teammate Carl Young passed away, and um, so that's you know um, over the years there's, there's been uh, uh, quite a few storm chasers that have passed away. That'd be uh, one of the bigger stories. The truth isn't, sorry, not to diminish anybody else's life, but it's just, uh, that's one of the ones that really stood out. And um, I haven't had any like close friends in the storm chasing pass away. Like oftentimes it's names I hear people passing away. I've met them, but I don't know them that well. Like I've met them once or twice on the road. Um, but this past year, uh, and it's starting to increase in a really, uh, I would, I believe it's because of the accessibility of the information is because those these radar apps are now ten dollars and and the forecasting uh, models are so great that anybody can see for free that these people are getting into situa uh, situations that they're not quite ready for and also you know um, it's largely driven by social media now I don't know everybody's circumstance but I do feel that people are putting themselves in dangerous positions because they want that fifteen minutes of fame on social media and I can't. Uh, I can't criticize that because I had so many close calls in my early twenties because of that, uh, that we were, I was trying to do the exact same thing. So I'm not pointing fingers. I've been guilty of, of doing that many times as well. And I'm fortunate that I got away with it. Um, but yeah, people are, uh, people are out there, you know, they have, uh, they're coming out for the weekend. They're trying out storm chasing and they're just not quite ready to get that close. Cause they're not quite, you know, these don't have the experience of what could go sideways. And um, so this year there's, there's I, I think there's about 15 to 20 storm chasers that passed away. Jeez. Yeah. It's, it's like you say though, I think it, it's a problem in a lot of things. It's not just 
storm chasing. A lot of things that with technology allowing access to so many people without the right training, qualification, whatever, is dangerous. And especially something like storm chasing. Jeez, like, I mean, it's you're living off the fact that there's something that could kill people in front of you. That's sort of what, what it is. It's a, it's, it's a adrenaline hit because of what's there. And it's, yeah, it's sad, but like you say, it's, it's not even just those that aren't fully experienced. Like you say, the, the Wayne Gretzky of, of the, of the game it happened to. Um, on a sort of different note, Ricky, a bit of a random one and maybe one that you don't hear often, but we are both in the farming scene. And one question that, the aforementioned Suzette had asked me was um is there is there much damage to crops in these areas like is there fields that or there are areas that it's just pointless farming because they know there's a high risk of tornadoes or is that not really the case yeah it's not so much um it's not so much the tornadoes um because while you know like tornado alley gets an average of tornado alley so that's that area. It's just like basically this is a big line in the, in the middle of the United States, um, but that's where all the agriculture is. Um, they'll get twelve to fifteen hundred tornadoes a year in that area, and again, some will touch down for a minute. Some might touch down for an hour. Uh, some might not move at all. Some might be moving at hundred kilometers an hour. And so if you're if they're moving at hundred kilometers an hour for an hour, well, they're covering hundred kilometers. And uh, and so in that regard, so. That can do a lot of damage, but then you know, um, you know, it might, it might, if it is, if you have fields in the area, it might cross like half your field or quarter of your field. If it did wipe out your whole field, like I've never, I've never quite heard that story. It usually seems like, and also when like we say these tornadoes get to be a kilometer wide, it's rare for it to be consistently a kilometer wide. Like you'll see the path afterwards, and it goes like, and like the the actual path on the ground looks like that afterwards. So like they'll say a kilometer wide because that was the biggest point that it was at. But there's also like it's just because it's just chaotic winds. Um, it's not uh, nothing quite form formula wise about it. But um, but crops wise, sorry. What's more of a concern is the hail because the hail becomes in a bigger swath. And uh, like if it's golf ball, the baseball size hail, well, that's damaging your crop for sure. And uh, so most farmers get hail insurance, uh, like for sure in Canada, I know they do, but it costs a lot of money, uh, but you can't afford not to have it because yeah. while, you know, while there might be 12 to 1500 tornadoes a year, um, there's thousands more storms that have hail in them. Like I, I don't know this number, but I would, I would guess like there's, four to 5,000 storms a year that have hail inside them. And that hail swath is way bigger. Like the hail swath can, I don't know, I imagine it could be three, four kilometers wide and it can go on for quite a while. Um, so that's more the concern is the hail, not so much the tornadoes. North, North American hail is different. Like, I mean, what we get here, I mean, like to put it in North American terms, like an RB will be bigger than any hail I've ever seen. You know, it's just, it is, it's just, it's big rain over here. Like you guys yeah. get like golf and tennis sized balls. Like it's insane. Um, I'd have a random question in fairness. I think all of them are going to be pretty random on a topic like this, to be quite uh, frank, Ricky. Uh, I was <laughs> not just name dropping the fact I was in Africa again, but I was in Tanzania in August and uh, we went past a field that had a kumbunga. Now, a kumbunga is just Swahili for a tornado. And uh, I've got okay. a video. I'm sure it's very much not impressive to you, but to me it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was just wondering if you'd done much storm chasing out with North America. 
No, I would love to. Uh, um, you know, it's a one. It is a matter of time. Like even you could uh, for, you could storm chase the United States year round. Like I know right now there's some storm chasers down in Florida because there was tornadoes there the other day, um, and they they do storm chase year round. So there's enough to uh, to be had in North America. I would love to go uh, to like Australia. I would really love to go like to Argentina. They get some really incredible storms. In fact, the largest hail to ever fall uh, was in Argentina, and it happened this year. And they had the record before that, which was a couple of years ago in Argentina. Uh, the, the, and I think it was like it was just over basketball size hail, basketball size ice chunks. Yeah, and so oh yeah, that's mad. Jesus, yeah. So I would love to go there. Um, not that the storms look really any different. It's just because it would be cool. Oh, my God. We're how, just looking at photos at the minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you go about surviving that? I don't think you do if that hits you, do you? No, but, like, just in general life, like. True. Yeah, no, that. Surely uh... that, like, like, I don't know if it's if it's the same over here, like. You can literally be walking down like, yeah, it's not very nice weather, but like one second it's not bad, and then the next second you have the hailstones. Like, but what I am saying it, it is pea-sized stones. But yeah, it's surely the same over there that it can just switch like that. Like, and you could be outside, and you, there's there's nothing you can do against that. Yeah, I'm not quite sure like um, how long that lasts for. Uh, like, if it gets that big, like. A storm only has so much power, and uh, to create those kind of stones takes a lot of power. So I don't know how long that would last at that size, um, but one hundred percent, like that would that would rocket through homes, that would crush vehicles, that would one hundred percent, that would I think that would kill you um, if that hits you, like in the, in the upper body. Like I like I've been hit with golf ball size hail, and that really hurts. And once I got hit in the shoulder with baseball size hail, and I was like. Never again am I going to step outside the truck when there's baseball size hail. And we had one time we were chasing and uh, the hail. Well, a couple of times uh, we've had hail get up to about like uh, about softball size, like grapefruit size hail. And um, there was one storm that we came rushing out of, and it was coming after us. And it had uh, it was dropping hail, and these hailstones. You could look to the side, and the hailstones were hitting the field. And they were so heavy and at such a speed that they're bouncing back up. And I've only ever seen that once uh, before because I do my best to avoid that kind of hell because um, that destroys your windows and windows cost a lot. And uh, and it also gets scary for your health. Uh, but yeah, the, the hail was so big that it was bouncing off the ground. It was crazy. Jeez. I love that the reason before your health was the windows. Uh, <laughs> this, this is a bit of a rant. Well, I could have said that again. I'm not going to say that again. This is kind of going back. A bit, Ricky, just sort of clicking through some things there as you were talking. And I, I see there's been two EF6s in what I think is Genia and Lubbock in Texas. What, what happened there? Is that official or is that just people making that up? Before Ricky tells us the truth behind EF6s, are they real or are they not? He has to be on top of his game for everything. Tornadoes, hunting and all that sort of jazz does take some mental fortitude. Our sponsors today... Magic Mind helps carry your productivity throughout the whole day. You feel more useful early in the morning with it. Both Ed and I have had a lot to remember in a day, and with Magic Mind's impact on cognition, bolsters memory and attention span through the natural ingredient, Bocapa Monieri. 
If you're in interested in the product, check out the website www.magicmind.com forward slash RooKitchen20 and use RooKitchen20 at checkout for 56% off. They have, as I said earlier, a money-back guarantee with absolutely no questions asked and the refund will be with you within three to four hours. No, no, I, uh, there's, no so there's, there's no such thing as an EF6. Now, maybe like um, if the scale were to continue at its ratio, like... Uh, I forget uh, it's something like an EF4 is uh wind speeds of like 200 to 260 miles an hour. I'm a bit off, it's somewhere around there. And then EF4, I think, is 260 plus. Yeah, or no, I mean, EF, pardon me, EF5 is 260 yeah. plus. And so EF5 is set up that like anything after this grade is EF5. And so, uh, maybe like, uh, no, no, there's, there's nothing ever rated in EF6. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, I wonder if it's just folks who are making that to make it sound cool. Um, yeah, that's cool. Tell us about tell us about TV, uh, Ricky. You're obviously on it a bit. Uh, you're in um, Tornado Hunters and whatnot. Tell us about that. What's that involved? What's that like? What's that experience like for you? Yeah, it's uh, like so we don't film Tornado Hunters anymore. Like uh, I did that uh, a number of years ago. We filmed it in like 2015, 16, and 17. Yeah. Uh, but it was really cool. Like it was never with Storm Chasing, that was never my goal to be on TV. Uh, but the reason why we got on TV actually was because of that world's largest tornado that um Storm Chasing never really made the news before that, maybe here or there. Uh, but because this was the world's largest tornado, uh, it was on the news, and we were one of the few people that had footage from inside of it, and so we made uh we made the news and we get a call a week later that uh from a production company here in Canada and uh, in Toronto and they asked us if we ever thought of making a show and uh we're like yeah sure we'll give it a shot and it was two weeks later we started filming and they were out yeah. with us with cameras and it's it's funny like um you watch I'm comfortable in front of cameras now but you watch our original stuff and uh we were we didn't know like it's so hard to be yourself in front of a camera and so we're like we're like being weird and like we're like being really like um our personalities are super flat like because the other two guys I was chasing with then were characters as well but like we're all like um it's funny watching our original stuff uh but it got better as time went on um but it was really cool it was it was a really cool experience and to like and to be tw uh I was 26 at that time to be 26 chasing tornadoes and to be doing a tv show doing that i felt like i'd hit the lottery because like i said i always wanted to be a professional snowboarder or dirt biker and i felt like and i still feel like that that's very much in line with it it's an adrenaline badass thing i feel and uh it's a smaller market and uh yeah it was just uh it was a dream come true and so we uh we did that for uh yeah a few years and um got some really cool footage and uh it was it was interesting um when we got the show uh it was about a year and a half i'd been storm chasing and storm chasing cost a lot of money and we didn't have any sponsors lined up then it was uh like instagram wasn't even a thing when i first started like instagram wasn't even invented yet when i first started storm chasing and so uh we were just selling footage we're barely making it by we're bleeding money trying to storm chase and uh, we get the show and i was like uh not only do i get to like uh do all this cool stuff i'm gonna be rich i was like it's gonna pay for how much in debt i am and because like i had a dirt bike and i had a truck at, uh at that time but i sold it all to keep storm chasing uh and i also had like a street bike and i sold everything just like keep storm chasing and i was in debt 
I was like, and then when we get the contract for the TV show, uh, it was $10,000, $10,000, which sounds all right, but for a year of work, $10,000 for 10 months of work. <laughs> and the producer I was friends with already. Uh, and I was like, man, I was like, what is this? I was like, uh, I was like, this isn't even like a, like a, a normal wage of like 35, 40 grand. Like over here, that's a, yeah, that's like a normal wage to start off with. And uh, like, sort of like a living wage. Like, so you can pay rent and pay food. And he's like, hey, man, he's like, if you don't sign it, there's another storm chaser that will. And I was like, shit. And so the idea yeah. is that they're, uh, they said, like, if you want, if you want to make money doing this, like doing the reality thing, reality show things, like you got to like start doing speaking and, uh, and doing things on your own time and get your own sponsors and make money every other way except for the show. And so, uh, so that I did get into speaking uh, after that to help pay for things. Um, but yeah, it was it was really cool. We did that show. Um, so we filmed that first year, and then the next year we had our premiere, and we had the premiere um, at a theater here in um, a province of Saskatchewan. It's an IMAX theater. And it was really cool because I love uh, like nature and outdoor videos. And I'd grown up going to this IMAX theater with my family. And now we were here with our family and friends. And the theater was packed. And we're going to premiere the first two episodes of our show. And uh, it was just such a surreal experience. Uh, like to be in, in this theater. And again, just something I never dreamed of. And uh, yeah, we... We watched the first two episodes all together, and everybody loved it. And um, yeah, cool. And we like, and then after that, we went like we went across Canada on a big media tour, like getting on all different like morning shows, and like, um, and like I love watching news. So like all these different morning shows across Canada, that I grew up watching and still do watch. These people who I saw as like celebrities, I would go and like we would go there, and it was funny. Like I'd spent years storm chasing now, and I'd spent years filming, uh, but I still felt like an imposter and I still I still uh struggle with it sometimes being like you go there and you're like uh I I think you, you feel like you shouldn't be there you're like I I think they got the wrong guy like I uh yeah and it would be tough uh sometimes to get through those interviews but it was all yeah like you you felt like a mini version of a rock star um and it was uh it was super cool and so that went on um that went on for a few years. And so it was on uh, a television channel in Canada called Country Music Television, CMT. And uh, yes, yeah, so we filmed for a few years. And then the show got canceled. It was supposed to go on for quite a bit longer, but the show got canceled. And it was just out of the blue. All of a sudden, we get a call um, that the show is canceled. And uh, I was super bummed. Um, I like really made my identity around like, I don't know, be on TV, being a, being that storm chaser, and uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. Like I felt like um, it, it sounds sad now to say it, but I felt like I hit my peak in life, and I was like, "What? What can I do that's any cooler than this?" And like, how did I, how did I let it get away? And uh, and then I I go home, and uh, at this point, I've been on the road for like five years, and I go home, and uh, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to try to like. Uh, find some greener grass at home and uh i've been i hadn't like had like a home base for years at that point i really wanted i haven't had a girlfriend it's like I, I want a girlfriend i want i want a dog i want to go for beers during the week with my buddies like i just want a regular life i'm gonna go figure this out and so i come home and within a few weeks of coming home i 
I go out snowboarding and uh, I'm with some buddies and we're doing some filming and I drop off this cliff and everything goes, goes great. But my buddy's like, Oh, I didn't catch on camera. And they got, oh, the cliff is like a 15, 20 foot rock face. And so I go back up and I come off it again, but I hit a hard patch of ice and I landed and I blew my knee. I tore my knee. And uh, so I tore, I tore my ACL and I get, I uh, get taken out by ski patrol and, it was a pretty rough go. And then it was a week later uh, that I get uh, a knee brace. The knee doctor sees me. He's like, okay, he's like, here's a knee brace. This will hold you over until like, it was like six months later, I got to have the surgery. And uh, that that same day, I get a call from a photographer at home. She's like, hey, I got to do some shooting for dirt biking. Can you come out for a little bit? And I was like, oh, you know what? This knee brace isn't so bad. I'll just sit on my dirt bike. And I go out and I was like, and I, talk, I had to like self-talk myself. I'm like, don't do anything stupid. But it started to feel good. And so I started uh, doing some wheelies. And then I ate shit. And uh, I like tumbled head over heels. And the bike, I had all my gear on. Like, so I, I wear everything, chest protector, everything. Uh, dirt bike boots on. But there's one spot in my dirt bike boots that's soft. It's where like, the, um, so your, uh, your ankle can like flex. And the peg of my dirt bike hit that like i was lying down and my dirt bike fell on top of me and my peg hit there and crushed my foot the whole way through on the other leg <laughs> it's oh. funny now it really sucked in so now i can't walk because my knee's torn and my supporting foot is crushed and so uh yeah i get a cast on that and it's in a wheelchair for a little bit and i couldn't uh i was super depressed for a little while because <laughs> i couldn't walk i just lost my tv show i wasn't going storm chasing like i couldn't go storm chasing because i couldn't drive and i couldn't walk and uh, i took my foot nearly a year to like properly heal and um but then uh starting a business with a buddy because uh, i had nothing else to do and that would uh, that end up going on for five years. It was a digital marketing company. And because uh, I learned digital marketing while we were storm chasing, because uh, we use that to market ourselves. And uh, yeah, it was just a couple of years ago that I sold my part in that. And I went back to um, full-time storm chasing. But I started going, I'd only take off a few weeks a year for storm chasing when I was running that business. Uh, but now I'm back full-time. That's class, mate. That's really cool. Jeez, I like yeah. to hear that. Like, see yeah. the sort of diversity and stuff. And if anyone's listening, and I mean, the followers we have is much smaller than, than what Ricky has. But if they are follow, are listening, and what follow it is, your Instagram's Forbes F O R B E S Ricky, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Forbes Ricky. So check it out if you are interested. I've got one question here, hey, Ricky. Again, I feel like Suzette's conducting us uh, interview. She might as well be here. Um. She asked the question. It's a really good question because it's it's one of those ones that maybe sort of media and, and films and whatnot have, have distorted the, the real the reality, if anything else. Is it possible for someone to get taken up and still come down and be okay, or is that just completely false? Oh the stories, uh the stories you hear um are unreal. Um so like one I know for sure happened um, because I was on the tornado and it hit this town is uh, and, uh, some people did die from it. Like, um, and, and so just to be clear, like when I haven't said yet, but just when we're storm chasing, the, the only storms I'm interested in are the ones in the middle of an open field. Now I know for farmers, it's still shitty, uh, sure. but that's, that's the storms I'm after. And not even particularly like, uh, tornadoes, yes, but not even particular tornadoes. Like I like those beautiful storms more. Um, but as soon as like people's lives are affected, if it hits like a farm, if it hits a town, 
I'm not filming that. I'm putting my cameras are down. Like I'm not, I'm not out there to glory, uh, to sensationalize that. I do not want to take part in documenting somebody's life being ripped apart. Uh, like, but there's kind of like, um, like an unwritten code of ethics with storm chasing that if you're on a storm and it affects, uh, people's lives, you have to go help. And so, uh, I'm trained in first aid and search and rescue and so there's been many times I've had to go into areas um, and I go and help until I like to say until the real adults show up, until the paramedics get there and uh, first responders. Uh, but sorry, I'm telling you that because that's how I get to hear these stories because I'm in there, I'm helping out. And then um, there'll be stories of this one story. This man was looking for his two daughters. His daughters were, I believe, five and seven years old. And as the trainer was coming down, their friends were across the street. These girls, pardon me, these two girls were at their friends across the street and they're running home to get to their parents uh, because the tornado warning came on too late, uh, like the sirens, and the tornado got them. It, it took them um, It took them three fields away. So about three, four, 400 meters, like as the bird flies. And um, so these girls are up in the air, like, I don't know how high, uh, but they got tossed a long, long ways, like nearly half a kilometer into this field, into this crop, and they were okay. No broken limbs, uh, just scuffed up, and they found these girls walking back home afterwards. That is insane. I don't think I've yeah. heard it. a miracle. That's what it is, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard a story well doing that, do you know Nah, there's another one that was going to end bad, in fairness. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, exactly. sorry, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, uh, another one I heard. Uh, so we were there for this. Um, I was there to hear this story was that, um, these homes where we were doing such rescue, like homes were wiped right off. Like it's, it, it looks like a bomb goes off, uh, like nothing's recognizable. And, um, we had heard that, uh, this man, or sorry, or this man told us the story that who had happened to is that he heard the, the tornado sirens going off. He looked out the window. He saw the tornado coming in. And he had heard, uh, like, there's what you want to do is you want to get into the lowest point in your house. And so if you have a basement, you're getting down to your basement. And you want to get into the smallest room. And usually, on the, if you're in the basement, towards the edges, if you don't have a basement, then you want to get into, like, the middle of the house. And, like, get it uh, underneath a set of stairs or get in your bathroom. Like, the smallest space will have the most chance of standing up to something hitting it like this. And so... Um, he went for his bathtub and, uh, like, I don't know if I would do that. Like I would probably go for underneath the sister. It's a good thing he did though. Cause his whole house got wiped out. Um, but he went for the bathtub and he had, to, uh, he had, uh, two kids with him. I forget if they're boys or girls, but he had two little kids that were able to fit underneath him. And he got in the bathtub and somehow he, I guess there's edging to hang, hang on to. He got tossed not far, like, but, but far, like maybe like, I think like three, four blocks, but three, four blocks when he's the one taking the brunt of the impact. And I think he broke a few ribs, uh, he was saying afterwards. Um, but it just, like, his house was gone. And uh, and who knows, like, it's uh, how, like, he, and he doesn't know either, because right, it's such chaos. But, like, tornadoes are spinning in a vortex. And so if he, if he got flung that far, there's, it might have been just a straight like grab and toss. But there's also a chance that he might have cycled around that tornado a little bit before coming back down, uh, which is crazy to think. Same with those kids before. Um, there's two other stories I have to tell you. Uh, one story is that it was uh, 
it was this this woman's kid told me this because this woman, uh, she, elderly lady, she was in her late 80s. She uh, and I do believe this is true. Uh, I was in friends with the person uh, who's her kid is uh, or her son, pardon me. Um, she's at she's at uh, the sink in the kitchen and uh, she's on a farm and she looks up and there's no sirens going off. But that's because she's out in the rural area because the sirens are there in like uh, towns and cities. And so she sees a tornado coming and she thinks this is it. This is it. Uh, and she she can't move too well. There's no sense in going anywhere. And she has nowhere really to hide anyway. And so she just stands there at the sink as she watches it come in. And it was a very large tornado. It took the whole house away, except for about 15 square feet of where she was standing. Everything gone, except for her in the sink and like part of the countertop. It's just That's like the like most you'd imagine only happening in a movie. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah like, I, 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 I can literally imagine it now. Just this uh, old lady just doing a dishes. She's like, oh, the storm coming. Oh, just carry on. And then she's still just standing there, just no house around her. Yeah, yeah. That's mad. And you know, uh... see, see the story about the the bath. That guy's like, that's definition of hero, is it not? That's like. That's oh like yeah, super expensive, isn't it? He's, he's a hero. There's so yeah, hundred percent. He's a hero, and and we we do hear quite a few heroic like, um, whether people are doing it for their families or doing it for friends or even people they don't know. Um, the hero stories that come out of this because these people are it, it's David and Goliath. Like these people, they're facing they're facing the worst of the worst, and they only have a matter of seconds to make this decision. Like that's that's the true definition of a hero like that that is selflessness and um yeah it's incredible there's actually there's, there's one other story uh with when you mentioned the hero um there was a trade we were on and we we actually went back because this is part of the show that we went back to interview the uh this bank manager and so this trade was coming into this town this town is about i think it was about 1, 1500 people uh so it's a smaller town but they have a bank and uh and so the bank manager's there and he has, uh, I believe it was like three or four staff. And there was like two or three customers in the building at the time. And so they're sitting there, the tornado sirens are going off. This tornado is coming towards the town. They go outside this one main street and they look down and they can see the tornadoes coming straight to them. And uh, so they go back inside and this bank manager, he, I wouldn't guess he's in his late sixties, just to give you perspective, super nice dude. Um, very much like a grandpa kind of type of guy. And he, uh, yeah, so the the plan was for the bank, if a storm ever comes through, their storm plan was to get into uh, the safe that they have where they keep the lock boxes and everything else. And so um, as the, the tornado centers are going, the bank manager knows in his head that there's no way to lock the safe from the inside. And so he sees the sirens are going off. The tornado's coming in. He knows this. And uh, like he has a wife. He has kids. He has uh, grandkids. Um, but he doesn't tell it. Like they all go inside. He's like, and he leads the way. He's like, all right, everybody get in there. And then, uh, yeah, they can start to hear like the tornado like, hitting the town. And because it, it gets really, really loud and starts to sound like a freight train. And uh, he, he has to like, uh, be very curt with uh the lady you're speaking to, he's like, no, he's like, this is how the way it has to go. He's like, 
we can only close the safe from the outside. And so he closes the safe and then he runs and uh, he finds that uh, he said he just panicked after that. He wasn't actually, he didn't have a plan after that, but he found an air vent that he was able to get about half his body into an air vent in the ground. And the trader came out, wiped out the bank. It took the safe about a block away and the safe rolled uh, pretty tough for the people inside there, but they were okay. There was like a few broken limbs and things like that. Um, but he, the trainer took the bank away and he hung on, he found something to grasp onto. And so I'm not laughing. It's just crazy story that he found something inside that air vent and it was like sucking him out. It was sucking him out of the air vent. Like his legs were up in the air and he felt, he said it felt like a vacuum and it was so loud and terrifying. Um, but he was able to hang on. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's just, and he's so in the way he, uh, he didn't really want to talk about it. Um, and he uh, he was very, very modest about it. Like, it took us a little bit to get it out of him. Like, um, yeah, like, those kind of people, like, those are the true heroes of the world. Man, this is the coolest oh, episode so far, man. Yeah. It's actually, like, it's quite hard to wrap your head around this stuff, that this is actually stuff that's happened Yeah, in life. Like, stuff that's happened in the same world that we're in and we're just in the UK complaining about minus four. Yeah, we complain we're so soft over here. Uh, I, hate, I hate this. Politically, climatically. Everything, <laughs> everything about it. Yeah. We just complain and then it gets to 25 degrees heat and then we're complaining because it's too hot. We we had, you mentioned it hits 45, uh, 40, like plus 40, Celsius. plus 40 where you are, it hits. We had 38 yeah. and houses started to go in fire last summer. Like, yeah. It's generally what happens here. But um, the only other question I've got left, and I think genuinely Suzette has given me about five of these, is how do you measure speed? Now, I'm asking this and I'm going to follow up with an additional part of the question. Is it by throwing some kind of ball that can measure the speed or is that not true? How is speed measured? They measure the speed... Um... Sometimes they will have um, storm chasers that are like officially affiliated with the weather service out there. And um, and I say, cause I'm not officially affiliated. Like I will call in reports to them, but like, I don't work for them. Uh, I don't have to give them reports, but I do. Um, that will have, um, like I'll uh, I forget the name of it now, but anyways, they have what measures the wind speed. I think it's altimeter, but um so they'll have that out there. Anemometer? Anemometer, that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they'll have, so sometimes it's actually, so sometimes it's first-hand evidence um, that somebody is close to the storm, and then they'll like they'll they'll increase it because they're they're not in the tornado. Um, it's not, but it's not because anything gets put in the tornado. They have done that before, but typically it's based off of um two things. It's based off of uh either radar evidence. And so like the radar is very, very sophisticated um, that they can tell the wind speeds within uh, that storm and calculate that afterwards. And a lot of times it's looking at evidence afterwards. So like the same way that like, uh, I, I don't how you I imagine you guys are very similar. Like if there's an accident that uh, that's bad enough, like a police investigation unit will come out and they can tell by the skid marks that this is how fast that person might've been going and things like that. They can do that when they're, uh, when they're looking at the damage path of these tornadoes afterwards. Got you. 
because they, they and sort of the way they because they know it takes this much to break wood it takes this much to bend steel it takes this much to break steel like um or if something gets tossed like um i was on a tornado here in canada a ten thousand kilogram um uh combine got tossed or ten thousand ten thousand kilogram yeah sorry uh it got tossed and they knew because it got tossed for sure, it had to be over an EF3 because they know, uh, and then it actually turned out to be an EF4 because of some other things. But it's like, it's those evidence markers that they learn over time that tell them the wind speed. Man, and Homebine, that's insane. Yeah. I, just, I, can't, I can't fathom it. I can't. Nah, actually seeing in your head like that, just flipping around yeah. in the sky. So yeah, it's, there's uh many different weird things um we've seen over the years in tornadoes something we've seen afterwards um that's pretty mind-boggling is we've seen straw uh in trees like a nail like multiple pieces of straw into a tree through the bark into a hard tree um and that just speaks to the speed of it uh yeah. That's the speed it has to go up. Well, you almost have to make it hard. It has to be rigid to go in. Now, I don't you know, know what speed We touch them afterwards. Like, it's just a piece of straw. Like, sure, there's some rigidity, yeah. but like, there's nothing special about it. That's mental. Yeah. Really difficult to. I work with straw every day. I've got... Yeah, that's, that's wild. That's not. Yeah. See if you only, get only, only twice I've seen that. Yeah. That's scary though, man. That is scary. That's scary speed. That is that that we've seen unfathomable a minute ago. That is literally unfathomable. Yeah, you can't like your mind can't have to process that. No, not at all. Yeah, most of the storm that's what I love about storm chasing story. They're not like uh, the damage it does, but um that it does feel unfathomable. And I still feel yeah. like that to this day, like like that storm we were talking about earlier, like that sunset on that really cool shelf cloud. Um, the, we, uh, my work, the way we work is like, we get all of our footage first uh, because that's like our currency. That's how we make money. Um, but after we, after about 10, 15 minutes, like the time lapse are going, everything's like going, we can sit and relax for a moment. And uh, like that storm, I, I could still remember just sitting there and looking up at it and you could see it like boiling above us. And it was just, um, and, and the tornadoes too, it just, if, if it just feels so surreal, so hard to believe. You mentioned Ricky, you've got a couple of kids. Um, do you yep. see them being involved in this when they're older? Uh, no. No, uh, they uh, is that you don't want them to as dad, or is that you know, no, they're just they're just not interested. In fact, like my 30 uh, year old son, he came, I was editing a storm video the other day, and he comes in and he's like, he's like, oh, that's uh, he's like, that's a pretty big tornado. He's like, what's the biggest tornado you've ever seen? And uh, I was like, well, actually, I was like, a few years, like, I was like, a number of years ago, I was like, I was actually caught inside the world's biggest tornado, and he's like, no way. <laughs> I was like, like they just uh they just don't really care. Like uh it was interesting in the beginning, but uh now it's just kind of run of the mill. Just what dad does. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not a bad thing though. Yeah. Like it's a it's a pretty uh pretty lethal job. I don't think as a parent it would exactly be the most uh 
contenting thing for your mm -hmm. kids to be out doing all the time. No, 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 no. It would, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take them. And I even like hesitate, like, um, I have friends that want to come out. Um, and there's, uh, there's always a chance that something could go really sideways. And I would hate to be responsible for that. Okay. Um, like I liken it to like, uh, I don't know, um, bull, um, if, Bull riding, I'm sure, is more dangerous, and I don't know bull riding that much, but like I picture it like bull riding because like you have a pretty good idea what's going to happen. You've done it before. Um, you know they'll they'll get bucked off the bull and they'll get out of the way, but sometimes that bull just steps down in the wrong spot, and like there's just there's some variables that are just outside of your control, and um, that that could happen storm chasing. Um, yeah, so yeah, I even hesitate taking out taking out friends um they usually only i only roll with other storm chasers uh just for fear of the worst i think it's a good policy because that responsibility is on you then isn't it and you have just given me an idea and i'm sure ed will be pretty down for this ricky i really want to get a, a bull rider on now like jp <laughs> jp money he's a seven Jeez. billion dollar <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah that'd be cool here man i could sit and chat for days yeah. like and i Canada's so I'm I'm currently Ricky just being successful in a national travel scholarship and Canada's kind of on the list and by kind of I mean it's one that wasn't on the list but no, for a few months has been on the list uh, yeah so yeah here man if if um if you ever get a chance to meet up that'd be class to sort of just go for a bit of crack and I'm sure we could sit and chat for longer than the hour and a half we spoke for um. There is, however, a couple more things left to do. And one of them we were kind of already leaning to there when we mentioned about the kids being involved and stuff like that. Um, and and basically what that is, I don't know if you're a fan of, I don't know if you say football or soccer in Canada, but um, the one with the actual ball. Uh, I don't know if you're a fan of that, but we had a guy called Stevie Nichol who used to play for Liverpool um, uh, on the podcast recently. Uh, and he's quite big in the States now. Um, he was... New England Revolution's coach, and now he's a pundit. And I don't know if you listen to many podcasts, but have you heard of Stephen Bartlett? He's UK. I have, no, sorry. No, so, so where you guys have Shark Tank, and certainly the States, I'm not sure about Canada, we've got a thing over here called Dragon's Den. It's the exact same thing. Um, and one of the guys, Stephen Bartlett, who's maybe not even 30. No, if he no. is, he'll, he'll be 35. 28. Yeah, I could see him being 28, 29 sort of thing. Um, he's on it, but he's also got a podcast. Uh, and the thing he does at the end is he basically has the previous guest ask a question for the next guest. Now, yeah. normally we try and do this without knowing, 31, so yeah, young guy. Normally we do this without knowing who that guest is. Um, but I'd already sort of mentioned to Stevie who it was. So the question Stevie has asked you is, what did your mother say when you decided to chase tornadoes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a good question because it's a very vivid memory. Um, I went and did it like... Uh, they didn't know what I was doing because um, I, like, I was 25 and living on my own. And um, so uh, they didn't know what I was doing. But when we caught that tornado, uh, that, that first tornado, that EF4, and uh, it, it was it made the news. And I thought that was really cool. Like uh, first time I ever <laughs> been on the news. And um yeah, and so and you could see our, our truck there with a tornado, and uh, my head like pops up for a moment in the video, and so 
the the clip was online and I send the clip home and I remember it was like it was like midnight or so uh when I did it it was like it was still the same day and my parents uh were already asleep but they have to go uh they go to the computer so I have them on the phone and they have to get out of bed and they're they're all groggy and they're going over to uh and I'm very close to my parents and they're going over to uh the computer and they get over there and they're sitting down and I finally like get them the link I email it to them and they pull it up and uh my dad's like holy shit and my mom uh i could tell because her voice started to get a bit di- like she was backing up for the computer because uh, it's getting a bit distant she's like that fucking idiot <laughs> <laughs> and she's like what the hell were you thinking you don't make you change your mind anyway that's for sure man yeah that's that's pretty much the exact reaction i expected uh, yeah that's what my mom would have called me yeah. in fairness yeah like the fact that she wasn't 100 sure and she was like ah she's just going out and having fun and then she's like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's class man and from that question um it probably guides us on to what you're expecting the next question to be we have um well i don't actually know i'm not going to tell you because it's going to be one yeah. of three different people so I think um, it's better when, yeah, it's better. I didn't mean to last time in fair. Yeah, no, um, but if you had a question for a completely random person who's going to be our next guest on the podcast, what would it be? It's a horrible question, isn't it? Because it it's is, so yeah. open. It's as open as a question. Yeah, can be. yeah. Um, you know, what I love to know about people is I love to know their daily routine, and. uh I love to know the daily routine in uh, anything that really helps them, whether it's mentally or physically. Um, you know, what, what time do they get up? What's the first thing they do when they get up? You know, and some are, it's just uh, maybe a resp- uh, the average, res- it might just be a response you would consider average, but you'll never know. Like I find asking people that question, like the uh, like things I've inherited, like, like uh, getting up uh, and getting up right away, like create that discipline in yourself that you do not hit snooze, that you, Whatever time you chose, no matter how much it sucks, you get up right away. And like, there's like a a quote from Mike Tyson is that uh, discipline is doing what you hate and pretending you love it. And and I like that. And uh, so anyway, sorry, but I always find it interesting. Like, no matter somebody's walk, like I love to know what do they do throughout the day. Like maybe they meditate, maybe they read, um, maybe they have a certain way they handle their calendar. Like. Like these, like little life hacks that people uh, that do on the daily routine that maybe I don't do, and like I can like implement in my life. Like I don't, um, uh, you know, I find it really interesting. Uh, find that out about humans about like what is their daily uh, routine and anything. Um, I also, yeah, sorry, like anything that like they find like is a positive to help them getting through the day. Um, I also love to know. So I, I'm trying to, uh, I'll try to articulate this, like, um, when I, I, I find articles interesting when they, when they interview people who, um, who only have a few days left. And so I don't mean to be morbid about that, but, uh, they'll be like, okay, somebody's on their deathbed. Um, what do you have for advice for other people? And like ones that like, uh, that really stuck to me is like, um, you'll never wish you worked more. Ah, uh, like you, you so wish you... true, man. That is yeah. so, it depends. Worked 
on the basis, like we were talking about earlier, that you don't enjoy? Not that the, the whole idea of working just to get to nine to five, get to five o'clock, whatever. If it's one you enjoy, slightly different. But yes, I completely agree with you in that one. Completely. For sure. Essentially, like I, I see envision as like trading work. You're at work instead of being with your, being spending time with uh, with loved ones. Now, so I know I know you need to make a living, but like uh, I, I for one, I get addicted to work. Like I, I find purpose in it, and I can just keep going. Um, and so I, I, I that one really struck. Um, so maybe like how to ask somebody uh, at this point in their life is like maybe it's better said like what advice would you give to. 15 year old you or maybe 20 year old you uh yeah. i do like that one because anybody uh like you I mean usually there's like two or three things that stands out in somebody's mind like um that can really help people out um no matter your age the one i think you'll quite like ricky that i heard ages ago actually and i just sort of always seem to remember it and you'll it'll probably hit home for you as a dad maybe even more is the only person that remembers who yeah, when you worked late is your kids yes <laughs> so accurate man that is insane and I, I do sort of say on the whole work thing like if it's a work that you're getting a, a, a net positive effect out of mental health wise in general enjoying your job enjoying your life as you are as I think we sort of mentioned we were it's probably a different case and and yeah and you are in the different position that we are that you've got that sort of family kids and whatever um it's an interesting one though and the, the see the routine thing it's an I'm in a bit of a weird sort of period at the minute i'm in a new relationship which changes things and um it's different to sort of what it was before but the thing that is insane for me i'm not the biggest sleeper on the planet is a half hour maybe even 10 minute nap when i come home and i've got a second day like that like that's the biggest thing i have i sort of have my work my yeah. sort of eight nine to five whatever come in 20 minutes and I've got my then six till one. That's my thing. What's yours? Really? Probably... Six till one? Six yeah, till one. I, I haven't at the minute. Definitely not. But so I've, what time do you get up in the morning? Anywhere from seven to eight. Seven to eight. Yours is obviously going to be much then, earlier than then, me. Then you work nine to five. And then we, I, I we, pretty we much break broadcast and then six, six till ten. Six till ten. And then once I get back into what I was doing for a year and a half, it's probably going to have a walk and doing all the editing and stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, mine is I'll get up at about twenty past four in the morning, milk, milk the cows, and then I'll be back in about seven o'clock, and I'll have a breakfast and figure out what else I've got to do in that day, what uh people I've got to speak to, just different farming business stuff, and then eight till twelve, um get the rest of my jobs done and then uh I'll have a nap kind of early afternoon and then that'll be me from like yeah from two till two till ten. So it's yeah. very similar. Yeah. Just at different day, different day. different hours of the day. Yeah. What's yours, Ricky? What's your sort of thing you do in the day that that you need? Um so I get up early, just like um every chance I get I try to uh, build discipline. Um, like I feel it's like building a muscle. Like it's just, I'm always uh, pushing myself to do things I don't want to do. So uh, I'll get up either at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. It just depends what time I go to bed the night before. Like I try to get about seven hours of sleep. And um, 
so I get up, I get up right away, and uh, I get to the uh, gym immediately. And I find um, like I'm gonna be a bit foggy uh, in the morning anyway. So like, um, like I work for myself. So rather than being foggy on my own time, I'd rather go to the gym, clear my mind. Um, and I also find like any time I put into like fitness, I get that back um, like twofold in a day. So if I give like uh, an hour and a half of the gym. For sure, it gives me another three hours of energy in the day versus if I don't do it. Um, so like now I can't. It, uh, it gives me peace of mind. It gives me more energy. Um, like for every reason I need it, and it's also just a great, great way to uh, yeah clear clear the fog in my brain. And then from there, I don't know. It's pretty typical working and uh, you know for myself, like I find also like. Um, I really like uh, I like multiple small meals and like I know there's like theories and fitness and all this with that kind of thing. But like, I like um, if I if I always feel um, a little bit hungry, uh, it gives me tons of energy. But if I if I uh, if I eat a little too much, um, like I don't know, like essentially um, a meal I might have is like a, a piece of bread, peanut butter, and a protein shake. Like for me, that's a great meal, and I'll have like versions of that throughout the day. Um, but if I had like two pieces of bread with peanut butter, I start to feel a bit groggy and I slow down. I start to feel a bit tired. And so like, I also like, I, I screw it up all the time. Like every day, every second day I make a mistake with a meal, but like I do my best to try to find that, um, that balance or what's the word, like homeostasis or what? Yeah. yeah, I, don't know. yeah. I, I need to work on the, the morning part. I can be a morning person. I just choose not to. I could easily wake up an hour and a half earlier, go gym in the morning and definitely get that gym session. Yeah. Whereas now, like, I mean, I've, I've really been out of the way of it for three months now, but um, with since the, the leg. But I I was really bad for sort of podcasting in the evening and being like, right, I'll go gym, but the gym shuts at 10. So I really needed to get in before nine. It shuts at half 10, but you got to be in before 10. Um. And I was always chasing it and I kind of sort of made myself hate it because it wasn't actually the, I didn't feel like it was, it was going to the gym anymore. I was just checking a box at that point. Whereas if I go in yeah. the morning, it's done, man. Like, yeah, that's yeah. done. I don't know. I, I would, if, if anyone had the, like, opportunity to be able to do the mornings, like, I can't do the mornings because I'm working between half four and seven. But, like, if I wasn't uh, doing that, I'd 100% be going on the morning because you're doing it before your brain's even tried to, talk you out of it that's so like if you're working all day and then something goes wrong at work and then you've had a really long day then you get in at night like you've got all day to try and convince yourself there's a reason not to go to the gym whereas if you've done it already like you're in the car you're there and you're lifting weights where you know yeah Yeah. point for sure and and, motivational at the end man and to that point like uh 100 i agree with you 100% because I've been there too where I would go after work and like other jobs I've had and you would make an excuse not to go Uh, but also when I do get in the morning um, there's times I'm happy to be there. there's times I'm like I'm not feeling it at all but like no matter what I always put on something to distract me Uh, so like I uh, and sorry something else too is I always have a written plan like that's a uh, that's a big mistake I feel people who go to the who go to the gym uh, like no matter what your plan is like if you want to do Five minutes of walking on the treadmill and you're going to do a few sips and a few push-ups. Great. But mark it down. Like say, yeah. this is what you're going to do and just follow, follow the roadmap. And, um, and then if you are going to do that and uh, like what I would recommend 
is if you're going to the gym, um, you might as well like make it a little bit better each time. And so like, I always, um, like I do for fitness as well as anything in life. I always try to be 1% better. So if you're going to go to the gym tomorrow, if you're five minutes on the treadmill today, go tomorrow for five and a half minutes. Like just keep like, just small. Like, I, I liken it to like the idea of like boiling, boiling a frog. Like the idea that a frog never knows it's getting boiled. Um, and do that to yourself. Like just, uh, like anything in life, especially fitness, people come in too hot and heavy and then you get sore and it sucks. But if you just take it slow and steady, um, it's amazing. Like 1% better, you'll be a different person so fast. Um, but sorry, what I wanted to say about the gym, it really helps me is either turning on a podcast uh, or actually what I do is um, I'll watch a, like a, a TV show. Uh, like I'll have like my phone with me. And so I have my head, uh, earbuds in and I'll turn on a TV show that I've seen before or sometimes I haven't seen um because I'll, I'll put it somewhere and i'll just let it run and so like the visual is taking place in my head and it's as if i'm watching the tv show and i just go through the checklist of what i have to do i have to do this many sit-ups this many push-ups and i just keep going and i know like i just take short breaks just keep moving keep moving keep moving and i give myself an hour and 15 minutes and i'm and it's all done uh yeah, yeah. I, I literally did the exact same like before we were on this like i finished work at six and then just got straight in the car and went went at the gym put a podcast on it was in about an hour's podcast and before i knew it the podcast finished and i was done for sure it's interesting you won't know the tricky you can only see your shoulders and her heads um it's you're a pretty fit guy like i would think i'd be pretty fair to say you're you're a healthy yeah. guy you got some abs in there you're, yeah yeah um i'm not <laughs> you know <laughs> You know the the thing we were referring to before with the twenty five degree heat in the outer shape. Men with the two months of early mornings, and it would be it be completely changed. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I fucking been started. It's because like I he wasn't he was in the routine of it though. That was I, the, yeah. I mean, like if you know me, like I think I lost I lost roughly four stone. You don't do stone in Canada, do you? What is, um, what is stone? Is that fourteen pounds? So a stone, yeah. So fourteen pounds. So what's that? Uh, like seven, Fifty-six pounds. Fifty-six pound weight, actually. Now you say it Holy shit! Um, yeah, so I lost a fair chunk, like, and and in fairness, I haven't really put much on. I put a wee bit back on, maybe two or three. But I had a bit of a run-in where a car hit me off the road when I was doing a charity walk. I was doing a hundred and twelve mile walk, and then um, or hundred eighty kilometers. How fast is the car going? I don't know, man. Maybe. Whoa, I would say a it was thousand like, miles yeah, an hour. Two thousand miles an hour, man. <laughs> Nah, it was it was it was just above. Are you miles or kilometers in Canada? Oh, we do kilometers. Kilometers, so it would be about a fifty k, give or take, maybe just shy of fifty. Um, oh, and only shit. bumped off the side, but I, I tore I tore my calf pretty nasty. But I've been walking was my thing. I was definitely not. I was going gym and whatnot. I definitely wasn't running, but walking in gym, and I was getting into it. And this has sort of knocked me. And at this point, it's just become an excuse to be honest. It's still fucking sore, but um, mm. I don't know. I feel like this chat's made me want to go for a more. I've never tried mornings, never. Um, no reason not to, because the place is open at six, and I've got two hours. So I would, uh, I would a thousand percent. If I wasn't working on a morning, I'd be going on two mornings. Hundred yeah. percent. I love. Wait, like so many people say to me, like, how on earth do you get up at half four in the morning every single day? I mean, it's mainly because I have to, and it's the job yeah, that I love. Sure. But I love being able to come in the door at seven o'clock, knowing that majority of the world hasn't even started yet. And you've done a fair chunk of equity in your game. I've, I've, yeah. so 
I've yeah. like I've got half of my income done for the day. Like my my cows get milked twice a day, and that's half of my income into the tank. That's a cool outlook. Like, uh, so they say for like um like success like there's like this idea from this like author called Robin Sharma about the five a.m. club about people getting up at five a.m. and so that's what successful people do. And uh, whether you whether you want to do meditation or you want to what's that? That's just because you put your thumb and it looked like the thumb was up and we saw. Oh. The I see Zoom premium for you, man. That is everyone listening to this. Like, what are they talking about? Sorry, Ricky, on you go. Speaking of early mornings, I, much like Ricky, like to see myself as a very successful man, and I'm very much one of those people who can be up until around five instead of getting up at five. But now, I really want to switch around and have early mornings instead of late nights. Magic Mind allows better sleep, something I've definitely struggled with in the past. This is due to reduced caffeine, and interestingly, due to the integration of cordyceps mushrooms, not the one from Last of Us, um, but a powerful one nonetheless, um, it's an adaptogen that reduces inflammation, strengthens your immune system, and supports higher energy levels and physical endurance by ramping up the production of ATP in the mitochondria. For those who remember higher biology, I believe that's adenine triphosphate and the mitochondria which essentially acts as the powerhouse of the cell for the last time today if you're interested check out the website www.magicmind.com forward slash rue kitchen 20 and use rue kitchen 20 at checkout for 56 percent off they have as mentioned a money back guarantee with absolutely no questions you hit money back and you get it within three to four hours let's get back to the story that's all good. Uh, yeah, same as give me a 5 a.m. But exactly for what you just said is that come by like 10 a.m. that you have finished, uh, you've finished your day that people don't really get done until like, you know, 5 or 6 p.m. And it's the whole idea that momentum breeds momentum in everything in life. And if you if you're feeling like that by 7 a.m. or by like 10 a.m., uh, it's amazing how much you'll, more you'll do like you'll get uh you'll accomplish 200 percent, and if you start doing that every day like it's amazing what will become of your life energy feeds off energy 100 when, when do you go to bed ricky uh, i try to go to bed uh like be sleeping by 10 30 so like i gotta lie down by like 9 30 read a book yeah so when i so i message ricky at about i don't know well it's currently here in Scotland, it's currently 10 to 10. I'm guessing with you, it's 10 to 4. Yeah. Yeah. So six hours difference. I messaged you about half 10, and I'd respond in about 20, 25 minutes. And I was like, wait, isn't he in North America? <laughs> and this is answering the question. But here, I'm, a, I'm conscious we've had you for two hours, man. It's yeah. been honestly great fun. I've absolutely loved this. This did not feel like two hours. No. I know it's an hour 45, whatever, but um, really enjoyed that. And I think this is what I love about All In is like, we, we started it. So a bit of history for it, for yourself, Ricky, just for a minute. I started this podcast as a food and farming podcast and I had 99 guests on. And then on the 100th episode, I was like, I want to change something at hitting some pretty good views. Like obviously you're in TV views, but podcast wise, you're probably sitting at 0. 0.6 million or something like that. Like pretty good podcast cool. side of things. And then I was like, what can I do? And I was like, I love people. Like I love hearing folk stories. I love being at the pub or being young farmers, being wherever. And you're like, oh, this is what I do for a living. And I'm like, shit, that's so cool. I've never thought about that as a career. And uh, Ed and I had been doing some speech making at the time. We started the podcast then. That was fine. Um, 
and uh, we were both into sport, so it became pretty quickly that we had a professional yeah. footballer, a professional yeah. volleyball we, player. We could have got a sports card. We probably could for a while. Yeah. Apart from, apart from Dylan and Celtia, yeah. with travel, that's what it was. Um, and now we've got, to be honest, now it's still travel. It's travel and sport, yeah. Travel, sports and adrenaline is what it pretty much is. Yeah. Um, but every time we come off this, we're like, man, this is insane. Like, it's so cool. So it's something new. It's something completely different. And I know for a fact it wouldn't have been yourself, but I was watching stuff like Storm Chasing as a kid on YouTube, like the early days of YouTube, like, you know, three or four years in. Um, and loving it. So it's actually kind of pretty cool to, to be here at the end. And as I said, Suzette will be loving this. So I've, I've certainly managed to get some uh, brownie points in the, the new girlfriend's family. So that's always a win. But, uh, <laughs> Is it Suzanne uh, or Suzette? Suzette. So S-U-Z-E-T-T-E. Okay. I did say that before, but I just want to make sure. Because like Suzanne's common here, but I've never heard Suzette before. No, I would I would say Suzanne's much more common than Suzette. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I can't think of anyone else. I know. No, it's a cool I, name. I love the Suzette. It's a cool name. Suzette. Um, you go by Suzette. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Not Susie. Oh, you're the bad books now. She was the listener, but it's we're never never forty five. Suzette, if you're listening, he was the line bar and Dinky at the concert. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ricky, man, appreciate your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I know you'll be a busy man. Um, thank you for your time. I hope you've enjoyed yourself as well. Yeah, um, I appreciate you guys inviting me on. Nah, absolutely, mate. And we'll uh, we'll get this put up, and uh, I look forward to seeing sort of the, the response yeah, to this. But 100%. Uh, yeah, thank you to all those for listening. That was Ricky Forbes. The last episode we had before this was uh, Thebe Navratnam. Um, Speaking Nuffield, and then the next one we have again is Nuffield with Guion Parry. Um, so we'll see that for episode number. Actually, number 175 is a big one. Don't you really consider that? It's quite yeah. a big number. Um, so, yeah, thank you as always for the support, and we'll see you for episode number 175. See you then.